the Holy Spirit and His gifts. By Rod Anderson. Lesson three. Father, we do thank you once again for your word as we continue to pursue a under, better understanding of your Holy Spirit is within us. Again, we're trusting you to guide us into truth. We're trusting you to open up the eyes of our understanding. We're trusting you to help us to better comprehend the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of your love that is been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And quite frankly, Father, we just want to know what this means. What does it really mean to be indwelt by your Spirit? And what's the difference between that, Father, and having your Spirit come upon us? So we trust you to help us in these matters as we look through Scripture. In Jesus' name, we ask again for your Spirit of wisdom and revelation and for the knowledge of Christ Jesus, Father, to be something that's just magnified into our Spirit. In Jesus' name, Lord. Please grant us, Father, to really see, to really hear, to really know, and to really understand all that you have for us in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for it so much, Father, so much. Amen. Amen. All right, this is hour number three, then, on the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. And if you have the notes, go to lesson two. And um, I reserve the right to go off the notes anytime I want, just so that you understand that, because it's my notes, so it's my class. I can do what I want to. <laughs> but I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And um, I want to, but on lesson 2, if you have the notes, that's, that's page 5. Um, and I'm going to just read from the notes for a moment here, because I want to go through some of these very basic little statements. Like I said, again, in all these courses, this, what, what, what I'm trying to do is offer an overview. Again, you know, there's no way that we can speak to uh, yeah, all the Bible teaching there is about the Holy Spirit because you'd be here forever, nor am I qualified to speak on everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit. My, I'm learning right along with you. But there's some things that are basic to our understanding that you need to have, you need to just see because as we said last week, let's go back to what something I said last week or, you know, the last time we were together. Is well, as we consider the fact that God's Holy Spirit is indeed within us. I, we spoke just momentarily about the two functions, as it were, of the Holy Spirit. That what the Bible teaches is it teaches about the Spirit within. But then it teaches a separate issue of the Spirit upon and most of the body of Christ don't know how to differentiate between the two, and it breeds some confusion. But nevertheless, we're gonna, we, we talked about it, like I said, I don't want to go over it again, but that's a basic element right there that people have to understand. The Spirit of God comes within every single person when they believe. When you're born again, when you make the decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that that heart of stone is taken out of you again, it's just replaced with the heart of flesh. And God's Spirit, you receive you receive His Spirit. But receiving His Spirit and being born of the Spirit is not the same as being filled with the Spirit or having His Spirit come upon you. There's a lot of Bible evidence for that. Think about this. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But even in John chapter 20, think about after Jesus was raised from the dead and He appeared to the disciples, He had not yet ascended. 
But as he stood in front of his disciples, if you'll remember this, he stood in front of his disciples, he died, he was crucified, he was raised from the dead when he appeared to the disciples. And he turned to them and he said, and it says he blew upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now he wasn't ascended to heaven yet. But by virtue of that, it says, and then it says in Luke 24, speaking about the same issue, it says, then he opened their understanding, it says. He opened their eyes and he opened their understanding of the scriptures. In other words, he began to communicate to them, surely, really what so much of the prophets had spoken to and probably began to tell them how indeed he did have to die and be raised from the dead. And then a little bit further in the same chapter, Luke 24, it speaks about how... Um, they went away with great joy in one having. Now, we also spoke last week about the fact that it's interesting that the spirit within has nine qualities that it produces. And we talk about the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit that you read about in Galatians 5. Now, again, I'm just recapping. But the spirit within basically is for you. It benefits you. But what we talked about is this, that the spirit of God, when he comes upon you, always benefits others. So the spirit within benefits you because it begins to work this fruit out in your life of the love and the joy and the peace, the long suffering, the patience, all of those things began to begin to develop. That benefits you. You know, you begin to have a sense of love, whereas there was confusion and hatred. You begin to have joy, whereas there was, you know, no peace whatsoever. You, you are benefited. <clears throat> But the Spirit of God coming upon you benefits others, like all of the gifts of the Spirit that happen when you're endued with power from on high. It was never for you per se. It was always for the benefit of others. Like I said, I'm getting way ahead of myself. The point is the disciples received the Holy Spirit. And for lack of any better way to put it, when Jesus stood there before and before they were, had ascended, they had not yet been baptized or filled with the Spirit, because otherwise, think of this, why would he then tell them to wait or tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high? So what I'm trying to say is the work of the Spirit at salvation is one thing, but the work of the Holy Spirit as far as being filled with the Spirit for the good of others is a subsequent experience that we're going to look into a little bit more today. But that's important to know simply because, again, today, most churches, most people, and even several major Bible college denominational backgrounds will tell you that when you're born again, you have all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to have. And all we're saying is that's not scripturally accurate. Because, again, right there, I don't want to repeat the scriptures I just said. Received the Holy Spirit. They did. They went away with joy where they had been a miserable lot. They were confused. They were panicked. They, had full, they were full of fear because of the death of the man. They were confused because he'd raised from the dead. They didn't know what was going on. They go away with great joy. So they had the fruit of the Spirit already because of what Jesus revealed to them. But he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Don't do a thing until you're endued with power from on high. And we're going to get to that a little bit later, okay? So now here in lesson two, let's just look again. I said all that so we can get here, and then we're gonna, I'm going to begin to minister a little bit from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But the names of the Holy Spirit on, on lesson two here, which is page five, let's just read through these for a moment. The Holy Spirit, the emphasis, of course, is on the fact that He is just that. He's a holy spirit. Everybody say spirit. spirit. Now, even as we go through this, remember that the Greek word for spirit, in case you want to know, is pneuma. It's spelled P-N-E, 
U-M-A. It's like you hear about pneumatic drills or pneumatic tires or what have you like that. The power of air, the power of something, how you can take air pressure and, you know, they can, they create, you know, all these things that like break up concrete or what have you. They're driven by the power of compressed air. That's what, they're pneumatic drills. But pneuma is a Greek word for breath or air, and it's the word for the spirit. Uh, the Old Testament, the word is ruach. It's R-U-A-C-H or A-C-H-W, depending on how you read. But the point is, he's a Holy Spirit. And, and when I was praying about this, even this afternoon, thinking about a, a, trying to find a different way to communicate something to you. Lord, help me with this. You know, we're, he is a person, as we said the last time we were together, isn't he? He is the third person of the Trinity. He is a person. But he is a spirit, and a spirit like we went through all those things about, he has a will, he has a personality, he can be lied to. We saw all those scriptures we have in the first two, to the first lesson that we went through last time. But one of the things I felt like I just wanted to say today is it's, again, why we got to talk so much about learning to get quiet is because the Spirit of God is likened unto wind and likened unto, well, I mean, the word is even air or breath. And it's, it's, it's just an amazing thing how we have to learn to still ourselves because that breath, as it were, of God's Spirit can just move past you in, in a moment and you can miss Him so easily. And just the very issue about He's a Spirit. He's not flesh and blood like we think of. He's Spirit. And again, this is why somehow you and I have to really make the decision to understand this other stuff that I've taught in other courses about the fact that, remember, God is a spirit. And really, we are a spirit, aren't we? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23b, I pray that you would be sanctified, which means to be set apart, that you would be set apart completely, spirit, soul, and body. In other words, the Bible teaches, remember, that we're what's called a tripart tripartite being or a triune being. In other words, that we are a spirit. Every one of you in here actually are a spirit. And you have a soul, remember. The Greek word for soul is suke. And the definition of it in W. Vines, it says the seat, S-E-A-T, that actually the definition of the word soul is that it is, it is the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. The soul is what you communicate with the, this world with. Your flesh is what you handle this world with. But you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. That's what the Bible teaches. But again, all of our life, we, again, have been trained through experience and trained, again, subliminally to believe in the greater revelation or the greater reality of this that's in front of us right now. It comes all the way back to why we have to teach on faith again. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Right? It's the evidence of things not seen. I'll nod your head and act like you're awake for me. Andy, you awake back there? Good, all right. Good. <laughs> no, no, I know you're. But faith is the evidence of things not seen. And this is what I mean. It's a constant battle, if we're honest, to work and to develop and to make yourself, as it were, I don't know how else to say it, but to develop this discipline of realizing that this realm that we live in is not real 
when compared to the realm that created this realm. So forgive me for repeating some of the things I've said in other classes, but I gotta say it again. I always put it this way. Remember, God is the creator. We are the creation, right? That realm, therefore, created this realm. Therefore, that's the parent realm. That's where everything is truly reality. And as I've always tried to say, if somehow indeed God opened up our eyes and we did have indeed the true gift of the discerning of spirits in operation and we saw into the realm of the spirit, if we actually saw into the realm of the spirit right now, what you would see there would be so infinitely more real that it would make this reality seem to be no reality by comparison to that which is reality. And I know I'm saying it in a lot of funny ways, but again, you see, I, I preach that probably in every course I do as well, or some way or another I wind up saying it because it's just so vital. We're filled, we are a spirit. God's spirit comes to dwell and live in our spirit. The Bible then goes on to tell us this, that he that is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with the Lord, that a miracle happens where God's spirit and our spirit become so intertwined, so perfectly intertwined, that they're inseparable. I mean, that's what the book teaches. So somehow we have to learn how to not live from this hunk of meat called a brain. It doesn't mean we don't use it. You need to use your brain, okay? But we're not to live from here, and we're definitely not to live from the flesh, the impulses of the flesh. My flesh wants to do all kinds of things that are not godly. My mind will run crazy with thoughts at times, but I have to learn what God's asked of us, as he said, that we can learn to live from our spirit. That's why even when I pray, I use the word yield so much. In, in Romans in particular, Romans 6 and 7, over and over again, Paul uses the word yield, and he says it, and I'll just say it again. We may get read a couple of verses out of it later. But remember, he said, just as you used to yield, now think about that statement right there. Just as you used to yield your bodily members, just as you used to yield, give way to the impulse, the prompting of your flesh. Just like you learned and you've been trained for years, your flesh felt like doing it, so you went that way. Your head began to devise immediately, you know, your flesh says, I want it. Your head says, this is how we'll get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? They work together. How can two work together except they agree? Just like, just like, just like, just like. That's important. You've trained yourself over the years to yield your bodily members as servants to unrighteousness. He said, even so, even so, now you can learn to yield your members as servants of righteousness. Now, that's actually good news, everybody. Say good news. That's good news because, see, again, if you've ever had any bad habit, then you've proven that you can do it. Hallelujah. So there's hope for all of us. 
That's just it. See, in other words, we look at it in the power of the negative, but if you've developed any bad habit, you can develop a good habit. If you've ever trained yourself towards one discipline, towards one constant desire that keeps you, you know, like every time you go by that shop, you have to have that almond croissant. Something really demonic like that, you know. You have to have that caramel shortcake. Every time you walk by that shop, it reaches out and says, take me. You know what I mean? Whatever. You, you, and you've given into it and given into it and given into it. Just like that, you can learn, if you understand how he speaks, to yield yourself to God's spirit. Because Paul said we can. Because he's always speaking. He's always prompting too. And again, I don't want to go back and teach that whole thing out of Romans, but it's to me, it's just one of the most vital teachings in the whole book, in the whole body of Christ for people today because I love the fact that it's over and over it uses the word the promptings or the impulses. And to me, it's, it's very, that's, it helped me so much when I was young in the Lord, like I said, because I understood what just, it's a prompt, you know, that my flesh would just prompt me. And how many of you know when you go to a store, a convenience store, or any store, they have like some candies and candy bars and stuff right by the checkout, right by the counter, you know what I mean? right by the cash register. Now, I used to work at markets when I was putting myself through Bible school, and they have a name for all of that stuff that they set on the counter, and the name of it is, it's there, it's called impulse sale items. In other words, people will buy something by impulse. You're sitting there, you've already got all your stuff, and you just have to look and you I'll have one of those, right? Everybody's done it, right? You just, because it's an impulse, you don't really necessarily want, but your eyes see it and it's an impulse. Because you're just, something just prompts you and you give into it. The very same thing is how you learn to be led by the Spirit of God. You learn what He likes, you learn what He wants, and you learn to be just that instant. Just like you act on an impulse from the flesh, or an impulsive thought, you begin to act on an impulse or a prompt that comes from the inside not from the outside. And you see, God's Spirit, remember, the joy of all this is, is what? Is that the Spirit of God and the Word of God always agree. Like we said, there are three that bear witness in heaven. Like it says, the Spirit, the Word, and, you know, the Spirit, the Word, and the blood. God's Word and God's Spirit always line up. So if we, if we, if, I'm just saying, this is why we've got to understand promptings. It's like an orchestra leader. He prompts you. And you've been trained. Trust me. Trust me. You've been trained. You've been trained. You've trained yourself well. I trained myself well to do certain things, to go certain places, to think certain ways for years. The good news is because you have proven that you can do that in that direction, now you can do the same thing in this direction. That's where you're supposed to say hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> because God only leads you into victory. Thanks be unto God who always leads us into triumph. He'll only lead you to freedom. That's the only place Jesus knows how to lead you because that's the only thing he produces. He never, there's no bondage in Christ. The only thing he produces is liberty. And where the spirit, and remember like we spoke about, I just referred to the verse last time. It says, where the, it's, we, in the King James says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But in the Greek it says, where the spirit is Lord, there's liberty. In other words, wherever we allow the Spirit of God to be Lord, it's going to produce liberty for you. And that, again, is some good news. 
So it just really behooves us to understand this and get to know it, all right? But he is a Holy Spirit, and it's a breath. It's an impulse. It's just a, I mean, he comes like that. It's that still, small voice. Now, let me read some of these real quickly on the outline. Otherwise, we won't go anywhere. He's referred to as the Spirit. First John 3, 24, it says, Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. In other words, just think about it. Really read what it says. The way we know God lives in us, or the way we know that Jesus lives in us, or that God lives in us, it says is we know it by the Spirit. In other words, it is the Spirit of God that's going to bear witness. See, it's, it's referring to the same thing that Paul said in Romans 8. The Spirit himself will bear witness or testify with our spirit that we are the sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. And that's what he does. This is why it's only good for you to learn to yield to him and constantly talk to him. Remember, we started out with 2 Corinthians 13, 15, the very, very last verse of the whole second book of Corinthians, where Paul finishes by saying, may the love of, the, love of God, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and may the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Like I said, this is, those are the three areas the Lord told me my whole life was to be given over to study about, to know the love of God, the grace that came with Jesus, and what it means today to commune with the Holy Spirit. And the word communion there is the classic Greek word that everybody knows, koinia, which is, means fellowship and partnership. And remember, God is in heaven. Jesus is seated together with him at his own right hand, or excuse me, Jesus is seated with the Father at the right hand. He's in heaven. But again, as we said last time we were together, in John 16, Jesus said, it's going to be expedient for you. It's going to be better for you. It's going to be advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter will not come. But if I do go away, he will come and he will be with you always. And so the point is, God's in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. But the comforter, the Holy Spirit, is the one that's on earth right now. That's the presence of God that's within us. And that's the presence of God that longs to come upon us. Hallelujah. Okay. So he will bear witness with us. The next verse, it says in 1 Corinthians 2.10, but God, just showing that he's referred to as the spirit, his spirit, but God has revealed them. And again, we'll go to these verses later to see them in context, what they're referred to, because they're all incredible messages. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. That's another thing that Again, we really, really, really have to center in on later is, again, the Holy Spirit. This is why I always call him the revelator. He is the revealer. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal. The word revelation, it's a Greek word, apocalypsis. You don't have to know it, of course. It's A-P-O-K-L-A-U-P-I-S, apocalypsis. But it literally means to take the cover off something, like it's something that's up here, it's covered. It's always there. That, that pen is there. If you look on my desk here, in other words, this is here. This thing in front of me is here, but it's covered up. But what God's Spirit does is He reveals something that's always been there. He reveals something that's been there all along. A lot of times in church life, we say things like, God gave me a brand new revelation. And while we know what people mean by that, in reality, there's no such thing as a brand new revelation by virtue of the definition of the word. Because really a revelation means suddenly something's happened, some scales are pulled back. The Holy Spirit 
has lifted a cover off and you've seen something that's always been there. And you finally see it and you go, oh, oh, check that out, look at that. But it's always been there. But the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals. Uh, the word, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. He illuminates, he throws light on, he allows you to see what was before hidden. He's called the Spirit of God. 1 John 4, 2 says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And of course, the next verse just says categorically that any, any spirit that does not agree that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, it says, is the spirit of Antichrist. That's what the next verse says. So basically, we'll know, and if, you know, if somebody was to get up and say, Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh, well, we know that that's the spirit of Antichrist. For example, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses say. They say that Jesus was a good man, but their argument, they flip out when we would tell them, if you say to them, well, we believe Jesus Christ was man God manifest in the flesh, they go, no, 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 that's where they flip out. Well, according to this right here, therefore, if you don't confess, if you do not believe any spirit that doesn't believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh is the spirit of Antichrist. So whatever else they have there, horrific error there, therefore nothing else that you can read can be counted on. Romans 8, 14, we'll refer to this much later again. We've already just referred to it. He's, Paul said, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, remember, they are the sons of God. I refer to that so often. The Greek word for sons there is the word weos. It's spelled H-U-I-O-U-S. And weos means, it means mature sons. It means mature daughters. So in other words, I, I got in trouble once saying this. I think if any of you listen to the four tapes, I, I did a four tape series called Close to God uh, a while back. And uh, on that, I made this comment. I've had a few people comment to me about it, but I'll stick by it anyhow. Because when you look at that, as many as are led by the Spirit, they're the mature sons and daughters of God. Uh, and I said, the thing that you have to understand is, well, when you're saved, we all become the children of God. But what I was trying to communicate, I said, but really what the Bible teaches, there's a difference between being a child of God and being a son or a daughter. Because one word refers to far greater maturity and therefore far greater opportunity to use the authority that comes with the responsibility of, of being older. But nevertheless, let's just stick with that for as many as are led by the Spirit. In other words, people who've learned how to be led by their spirit are the ones that are most definitely going to be the more mature sons and daughters of God. Because again, God's Spirit is God. It's the third person of the Trinity in us guiding us. So of course you're going to be more mature. But again, the good news is if we're asked to do this, we can do it. Amen? We can be led by the Spirit. But it's going to take some training away from how we were previously trained, like I said. We're going to have to consistently renew our mind to the Word of God. That's why you folks are coming to a class like this. And you're going to have to consistently begin to understand what it means to no longer yield your flesh to anything and everything that it wants. And you're going to have to learn how to yield your thought processes to the mind of Christ as opposed to the mind of whoever. Anyway, we'll talk some more about those. The Spirit of Christ in Romans 8 and 9, Paul says you however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God truly lives in you. 
And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ, plain and simple. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Like I said, I'm going through these quickly because I want to get into something else here. There are all kinds of divine names. If you're on the bottom of the page there, I do want you to go through these real quickly. Now, why we, why, these are all the names that are different names that are ascribed to God's Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the reason I put these in there originally is because I want you to remember that this is the same Spirit that resides in you tonight. Amen? Uh, to me, like I said, that constantly excites me when I think about this issue, about the fact that the very same Spirit, remember, that is read about, we read about in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The very same Spirit that hovered over the face of the deep, over chaos, in the beginning of all creation, the very same Spirit, not another Spirit, through some working of God's grace, now lives in tabernacles inside of us. I mean, that, the, the, the ramifications of that just really just sets me to working, man. It just sets my mind. I'm like a little kid. It just, I just go, oh my. I mean, the same Spirit. I mean, he's seen it all. I mean, he's been there from the beginning. The one on the inside of me, therefore, knows everything, you see. He knows everything. There's nothing. I mean, he's the same spirit that stopped the sun for 24 hours. He's the same, sp the same spirit that, that appeared before the Israelis, you know, the Isra Israel as a cloud by day and as a fire by night. I mean, that manifestation, that's, that was the spirit of God in manifestation. It's the same spirit that passed through the two halves of that bull in the Abrahamic covenant. I mean, whatever, wherever you look at it, I mean, it's the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in me. And there's just something about that that I just like, to, I get lost in sometimes. I have a deep and a wide imagination and I loved when I'm by myself and alone and quiet. I just let it run with that because to me, I just get, all I know is I come out better for it, you know, because I realize the one on the inside of me has the answer to everything. I always remember the first time I thought that, though the Lord, I heard him, I heard him, I can't say I heard him audibly, but it was almost like I heard him audibly. I said, the one on the inside of me knows everything. And then I heard this voice. That doesn't mean you'll ever know it, though. <laughs> because I have to learn to yield to him. But he knows. The one on the inside of me, Jesus said, out of your belly. How many of you have a belly? If you're like me, you're better endowed than others. I have a greater belly. But out of your belly, maybe I've got more river, is it? Who knows? <laughs> but out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. See, I mean... You have to let him loose. And that's another way the Spirit of God's likened. He's likened unto a well. He's also likened unto a river. A well is something you can live from. A river is something that will produce, will flow from. You can draw from a well, but you have to flow with the river. I mean, there's just, there's all these little, little things that the difference between the Spirit within and the Spirit upon that to me helped me so much in my early Christian days to better understand this. But I've got the same spirit in me that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Any of you? And the Bible says if he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will also quicken, make alive your mortal bodies. Because that's his business. I mean, he's, that's part of his job description. He raises from the dead. And see, the more I learn to yield to him, the more he quickens. I mean, you've got to get childlike enough to see him quickening blood cells, quickening bones matter, whatever it is, because that's what he does. He is 
the creative element of the Godhead in the first place, remember? I mean, God created man. But remember the way God created man was through the agency of the Holy Spirit. God said, and the Holy Spirit gathered those words. We talked about that the first time, Isaiah 34. The mouth of the Lord commanded. His Spirit gathered them. When God said, light be, the Holy Spirit took light and be and made light with it. He uses God's Word as fuel. But the Holy Spirit is the creative element of the Godhead. See, and the Creator lives on the inside of you and I. And when we have God's Word in our mouth long enough that it comes out of our spirit, that's the same. The Holy Spirit's the same yesterday, today, and forever, too. He'll take those words, begin to use them as fuel, and begin to create. And the only thing He creates is life for us. That can't be bad. Hallelujah. All these divine names and titles ascribed to Him. I said all that because I want you to read. As we read all these names, I want you to think about whatever meaning there is here that, that he lives on the inside of us. So I'm just going to read down them real quick. Point one, it says he is called the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit about 97 times. I'm not going to read the scripture references. He's, he's spoken of as the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of the Lord, as the Spirit of the living God. He's spoken of as the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of his Son, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's called the Spirit of burning in Isaiah 4.4. And the spirit of holiness. He's called the Holy Spirit of promise, the spirit of truth, the spirit of life, the spirit of wisdom and understanding is in me. The spirit of counsel and might is in you. The spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord is in you. The spirit of grace and of supplication. The spirit of glory and of God the eternal spirit, the comforter, the spirit of your father, and the spirit of prophecy. All of those statements, those are all different names of the same spirit. All right, the same spirit, and he lives in you. This breath is in you. This, this, this one is on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Now, now let's go to 2 Corinthians 3, and like I said, and I just, uh, I just have to because, like I said, I've got, you know, six more hours or now five and a quarter hours with you guys, and I've got to cover some things. In 2 Corinthians 3, I want to, I mean, I've got to read a lot of this so that I can get to a point that's in the first verse of 2 Corinthians 4. Now, so we've got to back up, and Paul is giving an argument to the church at Corinth there. He's sharing with them the difference between the dispensation of the law, look up at me, he's, he's going to share about the difference between the dispensation of the law through the hands of Moses and this age that we live in now, which is the dispensation of, of God's Spirit, okay? But it's important for us, though you've heard these verses before, to really see it, especially from the Amplified Bible. Now, so let me start here. Uh, I'm starting right in the middle, but I have to, unfortunately, here. He said, let me start in verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul said, well, let me read verse 5. Not that we are fit or qualified and sufficient inability of ourselves to form personal judgments or claim or count anything as coming from us, but our power and ability and sufficiency are from God. It is He who has qualified us and made us to be fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of a new covenant of salvation through Christ. Not ministers of the letter, of the legally written code of the law, but of the Spirit. For the code of the law kills, but 
the Holy Spirit makes alive. Okay? I love that in the King James. He said, we're called to be an able minister of the spirit of the word, not the letter of the word. For the letter killeth, but the spirit maketh alive. And there is the two, that's the dividing line between a lot of ministry today. Many people are ministering the letter of the law. It kills. It contains. You've heard me say this in the past. One of the major differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is condemning and containing. Condemning and containing. The New Testament is redemptive and releasing. And if all you keep preaching is the law, all you're going to bring is condemnation and containment. Whereas when you preach Christ, what Christ brings is redemption and release. That's something, one of the first things you'll learn if you're in a good Bible school. But, but the Spirit makes alive. Verse 7. Now watch as he begins to relate to them the story of Moses going up on the mount to receive the tablets and stone and so on. And the comparison that he's going to draw here, very important for us to see. It's obvious, but you need to see it. He said, now, if the dispensation of death, that's what he calls the law, the dispensation of that which did produce death, which it did. Now, if the dispensation of death engraved in letters on stone, the ministration of the law was inaugurated with such glory. Now, remember when he went up on the mountain, how he came down. And he'd been in the presence of God, and there was so much glory on his face. His, he, remember, the, as we're going to read here in a moment, he did not know that his face was shining so brightly. But it freaked everybody out, didn't it? I mean, they said, put a veil on your face. We can't stand to look at you. Moses didn't even know the stuff was on him. But he'd been in the presence of God, and God got off on him. And that glory was so powerful. That glory was so bright. The physical tangibility of what was on Moses' physical face was so great that they were frightened of him and they said, put a veil on him. We can't look at you. We can't look at you. And, you know, then when he invited them towards the mountain, he said, they said, no, 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 we'll stay here, Moses. You go up on that mountain. We don't want anything to do with that because it freaked them out because they saw a physical manifestation of what proximity to God produced. Now, so just have that in mind as we read this. And otherwise, you'll see, you'll just read a bunch of verses and it won't mean zip. But you've got to put yourself into this. It's got to be real to you. Now, if the dispensation of death engraved in letters on stone, the ministration of the law was inaugurated with such glory and splendor that the Israelites were not able to look steadily at the face of Moses because of its brilliance, a glory that was to fade and pass away. Verse 8, why should not the dispensation of the Spirit, now listen to this in the Amplified. This is what I want you to start catching. Why should not the dispensation of the Spirit, that's where we live right now, the age, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Why should not the dispensation of the Spirit, this spiritual ministry, that's the phrase I want you to catch. Everybody say spiritual ministry. But another way of saying it is this, the ministry that the Spirit of God is designed to bring when He comes, which He has come already. So now think about it. Why should not the dispensation of the Spirit, the spiritual ministry whose task it is to cause men to obtain and be governed by the Holy Spirit, be attended with much greater and more splendid glory. Verse 9, for if the service 
that condemns, speaking about the law, the ministration of doom had glory. And it did, didn't it? Like I said, so much glory that it freaked him out. For if the service that condemns the ministration of doom had glory, how infinitely more abounding in splendor and glory must be the service that makes righteous. Now, again, see, all these are so important to me. When the Spirit of God came into you, the first thing, one of the first things he did was make you in right standing with God because the only reason the Spirit of God could come in you is because by faith you chose to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, which allowed the Spirit of God to come in you. But here, see, read these things over and over again. His task is to cause you to be governed by Him, it says. And it says, again in verse 9, He said, how much more, how infinitely more abounding in splendor and glory must be the service that makes righteous, the ministry that produces and fosters righteous living and right standing with God. In other words, the one on the inside of me, see, when I used to read these years ago, I just would keep saying this out loud, Holy Spirit, you're inside of me. Part of your job in your service is you're going to produce and foster righteous living in me. You are going to, that's, that's what you're here to do. You're to produce in Rod Anderson some righteous living. You want me to live righteously. You want me to live upright before God. And you're the one that will do that. So I'm going to learn how to listen to you. If I, if I don't do anything else, I, I must learn how to become still and listen to that still small voice that is yours. I must learn how to yield to your promptings just like I used to yield to any other promptings, vain imaginations. Verse 10, he goes on, he says, Indeed, in view of this fact, what once, and I really listened to Paul, this is amazing, you have to, again, you see, we just glibly read this stuff, but you have to hear, this is part of Israel's strong history, this glory in the face of Moses, the law. I mean, you know, by Moshe, I mean, Jews today, that's between Abraham and Moshe, they're the most spoken of with David of all of the patriarchs of Scripture. He said, indeed, in view of this fact, what once had splendor, the glory of the law in the face of Moses has come to have no splendor. That's a big statement. What once had glory and splendor, the glory of the law in the face of Moses, has come to have no splendor at all because of the overwhelming glory that exceeds and excels it, the glory of the gospel that's in the face of Jesus Christ. Now keep seeing the parallels. The glory of God bringing the law was in the face of Moses. But in Jesus came the glory of the gospel that was in the face of Jesus. Now keep your thought on that. How it's so much more glorious, this good news that came with Jesus, that it makes the glory that was on the face of Moses to be no glory by comparison. That's a big statement. Verse 11, for if that which was but passing and fading away came with splendor, 
if that which was fading and passing away came with splendor, how much more must that which remains and is permanent abide in glory and splendor. Verse 12, since we have, everybody say, I have this. Since we have such glorious hope, such joyful and confident expectation, we speak very freely and openly and fearlessly. Nor do we act like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze upon the finish of the vanishing splendor which had been upon it. In fact, their minds were grown hard and calloused. They had become dull and had lost the power of understanding. For until this present day, when the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is being read, that same veil still lies on their hearts, not being lifted up to reveal that in Christ it is made void and is done away with. Verse 15, yes, down to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies upon their minds and hearts. And boy, that's a critical verse for ministers today about the law. Like I said, we, you need to define the law, but we don't preach the law. We preach grace. But anytime you begin to, print, to preach the law, my friends, you create a veil. You take people away from seeing the glory that's in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, but whenever a person turns in repentance to the Lord, the veil is stripped off and taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's the one I quoted earlier, where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty and emancipation from bondage and freedom. Now here, look at verse 18, and this is incredible. And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue, everybody say, I'm going to continue. Now really listen, don't turn off on me, we're just about done this hour. And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in what? The Word of God. That's your Bible. That's the New Testament. All of us, as, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the Word of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Where's the glory of the Lord? It's in the Word of God. Right? Did you hear that? Did you really hear that? The glory, the heavy presence. The word glories means the heavy presence. The glory of the Lord is in the word of God. It says, because we continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Again, like I said, I'm going to read one more verse, but I want you to catch this. See, just like Moses stood in front of God, Almighty, Jehovah God, and God brought him and put him in front of the Ten Commandments, brought him in front of the law. The glory of truth, 
The glory of that truth was so great that when Moses came down from being in that, because where God's truth is, God is, because God and his word are one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Moses comes down off this mountain, and there's so much glory in his face that the people can't stand to look at him. Paul said here that the glory that's in the face of Jesus Christ is so much greater that it makes the glory that was in the face of Moses to be no glory by comparison. And he said, we, even though you don't realize it, as you continue to look and behold in the word of God as in a mirror, well, what do you see when you look in a mirror? Yourself. This is who you, what you're supposed to see in the Bible. The New Testament is where you discover who you are in Christ. But it says, as you continue to behold as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord Jesus in the word of God, every single one of you are being transfigured. Even as you're in this class tonight, as you look into your Bible, you're being transfigured from one degree of glory to another. In other words, it's progressive. The more you're in the word, the more you're in the face of Christ, and the more the glory of the Lord begins to get upon you. And you know what? Just like back then, others begin to see it. Or you may not, but others will. Okay? And one final verse real quick, then we've got to stop. The first verse. Therefore, everybody say therefore, the first verse of chapter 4. Since we do hold and engage in this ministry. Well, what ministry? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. By the mercy of God, granting us favor, benefits, opportunities, and especially salvation, we do not get discouraged, spiritless, or despond with fear, nor do we faint with weariness and exhaustion. In other words, if you do faint and you freak out and you get exhausted and you're full of fear, it's because you're not engaging this ministry of the Spirit of God. And that's what we're going to talk about more. Father, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.